Hi, I'm Camille. I'm a professor at the USC School of Drama, and I am obsessed with getting to the bottom of why so many talented actors are out of work and what we can do to change that at Speak LA. And I'm Jen. I ran a secret underground agency in LA for over 20 years with a group of actor friends so that we could find our own work. Jen and I interview top industry professionals in the entertainment business with a mission of learning what they know that got them to where they are so that we can share that intel with you. We are your hosts. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast, Underground Actor Talk, is sponsored by Actors Connection. It is also sponsored by the Speak LA membership, which provides you with professional guidance and hands-on mentoring. If you're serious about your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. We really want to work with you. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's ispeakla.com. Sabra is of Chinese and mixed indigenous descent. She is an actress, voiceover artist, writer, improviser, and stand-up comedian. Sabra has voiced thousands of commercials across all platforms, as well as video games, technical and medical narrations, and animated works. She currently co-produces the all-female stand-up show Comedy Stew in West Hollywood. We are so excited to get to talk with Sabra today. How old were you when you moved to LA? 30. Did you know anyone here? Uh, A few people. I had some family in Monterey Park and I knew I had a couple of acquaintances. How much money did you have? It was in the negative. I was in debt. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you live when you first got to LA? Silver Lake in the same apartment I still live in. Oh, wow. (laughs) Awesome. What was your first job in LA? Oh, I was a waitress at Cafe Gratitude on Larchmont. I think that's why I recognize you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, What was your initial impression of L.A.? Uh, Well, I used to go there a lot when I was a kid. So hated it when I was a kid, loved it when I was an adult. And it's really freaking big. Mm. How many years did it take you to get your first job in the industry? Well, I do a lot of voice work, so I was already doing voiceover, like continuing, so right away. But on camera, oh, I don't know. I'm sure I did a bunch of terrible jobs the first year I was there. <laughs> like, and, okay. Oh, and I moved there for a gig, and when I moved, they were like, sorry, we canceled the role. Oh, wow. That sucks and has happened to so many people yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, How many years did it take you of living in Los Angeles until it started to feel like your home? Kind of immediately and also maybe never. Mm, I don't know. (laughs) If you had to sum up LA in one word, what would that word be? Complicated. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yes. It is a complicated city in more ways than one. Perfect. (laughs) Welcome, Sabra. We're so excited to have you with us today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited because you 
are um, a lady of many talents. Uh, you are uh, not only an actor on camera, but you also do such extensive voiceover work. So we're really excited to hear about how you've been moving in those worlds. Um, I'd love to hear, our first question is always, can you kind of tell us, did you always want to be an actor? And like, how did you get into acting and consequently a voiceover work? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like nine different things. And then I realized <laughs> I could just play them on TV. Uh, so I think I wanted to be an actor since like third grade. No, <laughs> um, no. And I'm just in that, I'm that theater nerd that never quit. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I guess when somebody said, you can be whatever you want to be, I like thought that that was true. And then I just kept doing it. So yeah, I just was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to college for this and I'm going to, you know, this is my path. Um, yeah. So I just kept doing it. And then when I was 21 I had a family friend who needed um who needed a college age low range female voice in Portland Oregon which is where I'm from and they couldn't find one cuz Portland I mean it's still small but it was like very small back then and she was like well sobby that's my nickname sobby's <laughs> already an actor she has a low voice she's in college let's see if she can do it and I'm just such a like I'm so good at cold reads because I don't like to prepare. You know that person. <laughs> um, and I'm good at improv and I'm really good. I like, I'm just really one of those annoying anal people about grammar. So it just sort of lent itself well to that gig, that kind of a gig. And she was like, you're awesome at this. And she became a agent. So she took me on and then she immediately had a kid and quit <laughs> and passed me off to some other agent. Uh, and it's funny, actually, my first paid professional gig was for Wi-Fi, which didn't like exist yet. Wow. So I was reading the script in the booth and I was like, hold the phone. I could check my email on my deck. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it wasn't even called Wi-Fi then. It was called Intel Centrino Mobile Technology which wow. is much in Wi-Fi. Yeah. That is, and then, and then did you just kind of, did it snowball? Because, you know, I love, I love hearing this, the beginning of your voiceover story, because um, as we, as we all know, um, voiceover is such a cherished and uh, what's the, what's the word? Com not competitive. I mean, it's all competitive, but it's like this, it's like this precious world that so many people want to get into. And I think so many people don't know how to get into it. Um, so was that, you know, after that one gig, did it, did, did you find that, that it was, they were easier to come by or did it still take a lot of, was it still a lot of uphill work on your part? No, I mean, it was, it was easy to come by. And I think there was this real separation. Like when you think about, people who really want to do voiceover, typically they're like, I want to be on a cartoon, which mm -hmm. is like, how many cartoons have I been on? Maybe two or something. Like it's not, it's just, yet yeah, that's more competitive than being a lead in a film, I think. But as far as commercial work goes, and now there's all these other voiceover things, there's e-learning and like self-produced audiobooks, and, you know, there's industrials. And so like all of that stuff, I mean, RVR phone systems, like, who are you calling when you call a business? And it's like, hey, push one, right. you know, all of that is voiceover and they all have different rates and they all have different frequency. So I was doing tons of commercial, which wasn't 
like what was fulfilling my little heart per se, right? I'm like a theater nerd. I wanted to go be Hedda Gabler, but I'm like <laughs> doing an Oregon lottery commercial. Um, but they're easy to come by, you know, and they, they just, once you're in it and you know, you have an agent and you have a body of work, right? It's just like so much easier. And then I got a Nike gig that lasted for eight years. So even if other gigs weren't happening, that was, I had that at least twice a month, which is like, I mean, I did theater in Portland that paid $300 a show for like years because I had voiceover. I was a cartoon character for Nike named Jackie. And I would teach the employees about their products. And then eventually the, the wider public. So there was a lot of like moisture wicking and TPU upper list sports lingo, sports things. I don't know what they mean. That is, so, <laughs> yeah. but so, so basically your day job became voiceover work while you were doing theater. <laughs> That's really Yeah. Funny. I didn't have any, I quit all the restaurant jobs. I didn't have any other gig forever. Well, that's, I mean, that's the dream I think for so many actors to, to, yeah, to, to have something cool. like voiceover or commercials or something that is sustaining you while you're doing theater or while you're working to, you know, get that first TV job or film job or, or whatever. You mentioned. Yeah. When I was in oh, Portland, sorry. I had, um, sorry, I, no, no, I had a, a theater, I had a, a role in a, in a play called Barrio Girl, G-R-R-R-R-R-R-L. And I played the amazing voice. And it was, it was written by Kiara Alegria Juarez. who's like, she, yes, right. Like now she's super famous. Back then she was like, oh, I won an award. I'll go to Portland and produce this play. I got to be like the first or second ever person to play this role with her. Nobody knew who she was, but Portland just had cutting edge theater you know, it was like a, like a five week run and like eight weeks of rehearsal. I think they paid me two fifty, like $250. And I like, you know, I dedicated my life to this play and I was like, well, and I can still pay rent and buy groceries because I have VO. Wow. Thank you. That's amazing, by the way, because I love her work and I actually teach Water by the Spoonful in my acting class with my students. Yes, we work on that play all the time. She's phenomenal. So what an amazing experience. Um, So you mentioned animation and then you mentioned commercial. And I know that within VO, there's all these different kind of niches that you can find your way into. And um, you mentioned that uh, animation is kind of a harder direction to go in. But commercial was sort of where you ended up kind of finding your place. Um, How did that occur? Did it just occur from that kind of one sort of thing that just spiraled in that direction? And then that was sort of where you ended up going? Because I know a lot of people would love to get into like a particular niche within this world. So what, what, how did that happen for you? And what tips would you give to someone who's interested in getting into that commercial kind of place? Got it. Um, Well, I think commercials are probably more frequent than a lot of the niches. Um, Back then, we would just go to, we would just get a call and our agent, we would go to our agent's office and record and they would direct it and then we would piece out and they would edit it and send it and that was it. So it was like not really a lot in my control. I was just like, they want me to go in, read a thing, bye you know, and then I would do it. And so what those were, were commercials. And I think in smaller markets, like in Portland, where especially there's Intel, there's Nike, there, you know, there's just, there's companies. 
there. There were more commercials than anything else. Um, so I don't know that I particularly have uh, a method for somebody who's looking to get into it. Um, I, I, a lot of people I know who wanted to be voice actors who were not already actors, uh, who, which is possible, obviously, if you already know how to act. That is that is the cherry on top that could help you know guarantee success. But uh, the people I know who are not already actors worked their butts off and usually entered sideways through e-learning or self-produced audiobooks, which are a, a not super fun thing to do because you're not just the artist; you're also the editor. Right. And now we've made this huge digital transition where I have to, I mean, I hired an assistant because I need help, but you know, I'm responsible for the editing of my voiceover auditions and they have to be edited as though they're jobs. I mean, very, very well and thoroughly. And then I also get gigs from personal clients that sometimes I do have to edit, which is not ideal. Um, and so with e-learning and audiobooks, self-produced audiobooks, because there's a difference, you're responsible for all of that. So whatever pay you're, you think you're making, actually you need to break it into the hours that you're doing of editing and producing. And it is hours. I mean, I will spend, if the audition's really important, if it's something big, if it's a cartoon or a video game, I will sit there and I will edit it for four to six times longer than it took me to say it. Wow. So it's just like, it's a lot, you know, and, but if you want to work really hard and you want to like create a body of work that you can use to, as a proof, proof of your own concept, proof that you are worthy of doing it, then that's a road you can take. And I've seen people do it who are now successful. They're not, you know, the star on South Park, but that's all they do full time and they make money and they pay for their life and they fund their families' lives. Can you, can you go back a little bit? You said something that was really interesting to me. I mean, you said a lot of things that were interesting to me, but when you said that you, um, that you hired an editor for your, did, did you say for your auditions? I hired a general assistant to help me with all businessy things. Uh, I've been through a th- few iterations of that. I hired a lovely LA girl who I adore for $25 an hour and was quickly like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> Um, and then I hired, uh, I hired a VA, um, in the Philippines and she, I mean, I had to train her on how to edit because she didn't know any of that, but I trained her on how to edit and I get a lot of auditions. I have, I think I have six agents for VO. Maybe I have five. I can't remember. But so I get sometimes, some days I'll get like eight auditions or something. And I have a four-year-old and I, you know, it's just like a lot. So uh, I taught her how to edit and I'll, it's lovely actually, because she's awake when I'm asleep. So I can edit something after my kid goes down, I record something, send it to her, she'll edit it. And then it's ready in the morning when I need to submit it. But if it's a big audition, I'll do it myself. Cause I just, I need that control. And, yeah. and like, what, what is the, I, I'm not totally understanding, like, what is the editing process? So if you have a commercial audition I would have, I mean, this is a world I don't know a lot about, obviously, based on my question. So I would think that it's just some copy that you're supposed to read. What, what's the, what needs to be edited? 
uh, yeah, there's a lot. So the, mm. the room tone, you know, it depends yeah. on the situation, but you need to reduce the room tone. Um, the breaths that you take either need to be reduced or muted. Um, sometimes you say a word funny or there's a just, a, you know, the microphone's in your face. So there's like a click of your mouth or like the rustle of your hair or like a something. And you have to take all of those things out. When people start sentences, they're very loud and then they taper off in volume. So you want to balance them out. Sometimes you want to create a fade so it starts quiet and then comes up. There's like a lot. It's, it's you know, like you would, like an on-camera audition, right? The editing for that's pretty simple. I take the one or two takes that I like. I take out me standing up and sitting down at the ends and I put a slate at the beginning and then like a thing that says my name and my agent, right? Still, that's some stuff. Mm-hmm. But if that was if that was being cut in a film, you know, they would color correct it and they would take out the room tone and they or put in room tone or even out the sound. They would they do so many things. They play with the light and all of that type of stuff you have to do akin to in voiceover. You know, and I I love what you're saying, which is I think we hear this a lot and I I would imagine because again, you are, you also do theatrical work as well, but it's, it's how you prepare what you're sending in so that it is the best that it can be. So all the variables are taken out of them being able to say no, because there's something about it that is not quite right. So anything that you can control to make Mm. it sound phenomenally good um, so that you can get a, a yes, essentially, when you you send it to them, which I think yeah. is something that we have to remember a lot as actors. You know, what can you control when you walk into the room uh, for that audition? That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, it's also nowadays you, people record so much from your houses. So they want to hear that my booth and my microphone and my sound setup are top notch. You know, I'm not going to go somewhere to record it. Maybe like for you know, cyberpunk, which is a huge video game. Obviously they had me go into the studio or, you know, some really, obviously if you're looping on a film, you'll go to the lot, but most things they're recording in your house. So you also have to showcase that your equipment is up to date. Mm-hmm. So let's segue to that. Um, I'd love to hear what your setup is. And I'd love to hear if you could do it sort of like, you know, voiceover setup for dummies so that anybody listening mm-hmm. that maybe wants to create their own setup, um, you know, give us, give us a quick tutorial if you would. Sure. So my setup is probably a little overkill for a a beginner, but there's things that relate. Um, So one thing I see newbies do a lot is they buy a USB microphone. And sometimes people recommend a specific one that's shaped like a circle. I don't want to say the name. Don't buy that one. It's like $100 and it plugs right into your laptop. If you want to have really great quality sound, I would buy a mic, like a microphone for a musician or a radio personality that has a um, a regular musician three-prong cord. I wish you like that. Uh, and then I would buy an interface, which is like a little box, and you plug that into your laptop or computer via the USB, and then a regular musician's cable from that box to the microphone. There are microphones you can get that are less than $300 that are totally adequate, as long as you have that cable situation where it's going into an interface. I know an interface sounds like such a generic 
word, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's a little, you're, the, the, my computer is sitting on one or I'd show you, but the, the interface, uh, I, mine is ch- pretty cheap. I have a focus, right? Scarlet 2i2b. That's what it's called. It costs about 150. There are better ones that can go up to 400 and then musicians are using something I don't know about that's more expensive, but I would do that. Cables are pretty cheap. Cables would be like $30 or something. Um, You do need a mic stand. I think beginners often are holding their microphone, not realizing that every movement they make in a sensitive microphone is going to create a sound and to not move is a mistake because you're an actor and you need to emote. That said, you need to keep your mouth in front of the microphone <laughs> so you can move, but maybe stay still in the face area or the mouth area. Um, and then you can just use your laptop. Nobody has to buy a gigantic desktop computer, but you you know you do need a sound program. So I use Adobe Audition, which is a little bit expensive. It's a yearly subscription like Photoshop is. Um, but there are other free programs. There's Audacity, which is free with Apple products. Um, and there's one other, I can't remember what it's called. I would not use GarageBand because that's for musicians. But there's also a gentleman who I love. He's LA based. His name is Larry uh, Hudson. And he actually has a course on editing in Audacity and Adobe Audition and the third one I can't remember. And his courses are pretty affordable and they're just great for editing. But you could also Google it and there's YouTube videos on how to edit. So my microphone is a $1,000 microphone. It's a shotgun. I have two. I have a AKG C414 that I use for animation and video games. And then I have a Rode Shot NTG one. I have a Rode NTG one for uh, other things. And then I have a mic stand and I have that interface. I use my laptop, uh, not a desktop, just because I don't have enough room in my apartment. And then you need a soundproof ish space. A lot of people do it in their closet, which is great. I see you. You can put sound phone up, up. Before I had a booth, I would do it in the closet we kept our blankets and pillows in. So it was like a shelf with pillows and blankets on top. And I hung moving blankets up, like um, those thick quilted moving blankets. I stapled them to the walls like a pro. Uh, and that, I would even double layer that, just buy them on Amazon. And that is good enough. It's not going to cut out a screaming neighbor or, you know, somebody banging on the wall. But it's going to make a much nicer room tone. I have a Studio Bricks booth, which is great, but it's not the same as as spending like 30K building a room in your house that's soundproof. That would be better. My booth cost $11,000 and it comes apart. It's like a 660 pound thing made out of foot wide bricks that you put together. Wow. Where do you, yeah. where do you buy that? Well, Studio Bricks specifically is a Spanish company, so there was a lot of waiting and mm-hmm. a lot of adapters uh, to plug things in and a lot of conversations with the lovely Spanish owner of that company. There's other options. There is something called a whisper room, but a whisper room is essentially a, a metal box, so it does create some density, but all of these things you have to also cover with sound foam. 
for a beginner, I would just find the smallest closet in your house, fill it with moving blankets and pillows and clothes and tell your neighbors to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to ask, that is such good information. So this is, so obviously you're in a very, um, you've been doing this for a long time. So I'd just love to know like the one or two essentials for somebody just wanting to dip their feet into this, begin to start so they can get that professional quality that you're talking about, but maybe not, you know, do as much of a monetary investment until they're ready or they can, you know, invest in it. So what are like the one or two things that you have to have? And I'm assuming one of them would be a mic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of mics that are, that are not too expensive that you can get. Um, I just, I think where the money has to go in the mic is in that interface rather than paying for a very, very affordable mic that's a straight USB mic because you can hear it in the final product. And then I would just get a free sound program and a pillow closet. Great. So just going back a little bit, um, you know, I, I'm, you, you've mentioned having a, a few agents, you have, you have a handful of agents and that's how your auditions come in. So I'm guessing that voiceover is similar to, you know, the theatrical acting world where people talk about that catch 22 of you can't get the auditions without the agent, but you can't get the agent if you don't have the resume. Um, so what, 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 are, what are voiceover agents looking for to, for, to, to sign somebody new and how can a new voiceover, um, up and coming actor put, put something together that would be appealing to a voiceover agent? Sure. I have a couple of things to say about that. Okay. One is it's not wholly true that okay. it's the catch 22 situation because there are so many smaller markets and there are so many people who are looking for a discount. Mm. So if you reached out directly to a production house in Arkansas, who's doing mattress commercials they may very well be like, fine, can you record something? Here's 50 bucks. Here's 200 bucks. Here's just a little bit. And that helps you get practice, get your feet wet and create a body of work. I think there's an idea that you have to have a demo and you don't, you just have to have samples of work. So it could be a demo, but it, it, it would be unfortunate for someone to pay a grand for a demo and then have the demo showcase that they're unskilled. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you did five mattress commercials for Ar- in Arkansas or whatever, you're like, hey, look, I was on TV in a local market. I was on the radio and here are the actual jobs that I did cut together. And that's like a proof that you have experience, you know, whereas like on camera, there's probably not too many production houses making movies with actors in Kansas. Wow. Uh, That is such great advice and not something that I ever would have thought of myself. I absolutely would have been one of those people that would have spent the thousand dollars or told other people to go spend money to make a demo. But, but what a, what a kind of scrappy creative way to, to put some work together. Um, and, and is that just like a cold call? I mean, would you just say, just call companies and say, I'd love to I'd love to do your voiceover work. 
I pro- I would probably do an email. Mm. I mean, it depends. It depends on what you have going on. If you have a website, you can send them or any other samples of work. That would be great. You know, and I suppose you could put together some kind of rinky dink ish demo in your pillow closet as a proof of concept to those smaller markets and then use those jobs. Right. But I've even known people, I've known successful voice actors who do very well, who barter in their hometowns because it's easy for them. That I know a girl, a woman, a 50 year old woman who will be like, hey, for $500 in uh, die jobs, I'll do your voicemail for six months with weekly updates. And she gets it. You know, it seems crazy. It seems crazy. But if you're doing a phone system, like, or you're calling a lawyer in Pasadena and you're like, hey, I noticed, you know, your secretary did your voicemail. Like, I'll do it for a hundred bucks. You know, they'll, they'll take you up on it and they don't, they're not in the business. They don't know anything about it, but they want to sound good. I used to, I used to make people at parties. I've been doing this since I was a young person. Let's remember. (laughs) I used to make people at parties, give me five bucks and I'd do their voicemail while we drank beer for them. (laughs) And I'm like, whatever. Hi, you've reached Philip. He's so busy. He's so successful. (laughs) Leave a message, whatever. And they give me five bucks, (laughs) you know, like. It's it it's not it's not the wild west, but it's certainly not if you're not looking just to be on Cartoon Network or just to, you know, being Kung Fu Panda, there there is some uncharted territory and voiceover is used in all of these things we don't even think about. When I worked at Cafe Gratitude, I did their voicemail. They paid me almost nothing, but they had so many locations. Like I think if you call today. I'm the annoying person that's like, hey, <laughs> to make it to go order, press one. <laughs> that is, you so know. Cool. Um, so talking about that, that is like such a brilliant idea. And I never would have thought about that to go to a smaller market. I, I'm wondering, I'd love to kind of connect that to networking in this world. So how do you maintain relationships once you've worked with somebody? How do you, how do you grow those relationships? What do you do there? I have to be fully transparent here that I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I think I think because I started so young and I was so just like blase blowing through this VO money so that I could, you know, close down the bar and then make it to rehearsal on time that I wasn't considering nurturing relationships. But in the small town I was in, I mean, smallish, people knew who I was because I was working, you know, and like a lot. So they just are like, there's Sabra. She's working. And then when I got older, older, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I should remember these people. <laughs> but, but I know, I mean, I know voice actors who came right out of the gate, like writing down everybody's names, the engineer, you know, putting down like all their email addresses. And one of my dear uh, voiceover friends in Portland, he's um, a little older than me. I think he's been doing it five years longer than me. He makes like almost offensive, hilarious Christmas cards every year before he had a wife, before he had kids, just to like be funny. And then he would send everybody these Christmas cards and all of these voiceover producers are putting up his ridiculous card on the wall and they look at it every single day. And when they're like, we need a crass guy who sounds maybe like he's bad, they call him and he's just staring at them in the face. That's good marketing right there. It is. And they're really, really funny. But, you know, I think that 
uh, nowadays we have social media. So I follow everybody I work with on Instagram and they follow me back. And now that I have an assistant, I'm helping to like create, you know, contact lists of the people that I know, but I'm pretty late to the networking game. And for a long, even in on camera for a long time, I was just like, I feel weird about this. <laughs> but then the people that I was just hanging out with and like authentically being me with, I guess that's networking, but I thought I was just hanging out, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabra, you have given us so much great information and sadly we are reaching the end of the show um, time-wise, but we always love to end with our show is as much about the business as it is about LA or as much about LA as it is about the business, I guess is what I should say. Um, and you live in LA, obviously. Is there a, can you share with us something that you have noticed to be unique about LA? Yeah. Um, one of my friends says something that I think is really funny. He always says, Ooh, it's cold outside. He's like, we're not supposed to have seasons. We just have a ward season. <laughs> there are no seasons here. Just award season. <laughs> That's funny. I like that twist because I feel like as I grew up on the East Coast and East Coasters sort of, I feel like, look down on us for not having seasons. So I like, I like the idea that your friend is like kind of proud of not having seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Other than <laughs> award season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. That's very funny. Although those of us that have lived in LA for a long time know that they're, they're sort of our seasons. It's just a different, yes. it's a different kind of thing. Um, they're soft seasons. They're soft yeah, seasons. There's like three false springs yes. a year. <laughs> and the Santa Ana winds, which I love. Uh-huh. And then there's like, um, there's like the rainy four days. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. That everybody gets freaked out about. And then you know, it goes away or it's like supposed to happen all day. And then by the afternoon, it's gone. And you're like, Where did or go? if you frequent Cafe Gratitude and Erewhon, you know that there's chemtrails everywhere. And that's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that's so um, yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. I learned so much and I have so many more questions. I wish we had. I know. I know. This has been really great. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and talking to us. And thank you. you. you, I learned a lot of things. So I I hope everybody listening did too. I felt like I rambled, but I'm. I'm No. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, for all of you who are looking for professional guidance and hands-on mentoring for your acting career, Join the Speak LA membership today. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's the letter I, speakla.com. If you are inspired by what you heard today and would like to set up your own at-home voiceover studio, speak with the voiceover home studio master, Dan Leonard. Don't be intimidated by the technology. Learn from the top person in the business. Save yourself money and mistakes and hours of mind-numbing frustration. You can find Dan at homevoiceoverstudio.com. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. Speak Ellie, the podcast is brought to you by Jen Jostin and Camille Thornton-Alson, and we are the founders of Speak LA. 
You can find us at ispeakla.com. That is ispeakla.com. See you next time.